Hi, this is Steve Kelly. Thanks for tuning in for the podcast of this week's Saturday Sports Talk program with Lauren Tate and myself. And a special thanks to the folks at Kirby Wealth Management Group for their sponsorship of the podcast. We hope you enjoy Saturday Sports Talk. When it comes to financial planning, most financial companies focus on your income. At Kirby Wealth Management Group, we focus on your outcome. That's why we know what it takes to succeed both on your balance sheet and in your life. It takes the right financial partner who looks at where you are now, where you want to go, and designs a financial plan to take you there. We're here to help you achieve the life that you're after, today and every day after. Focus on your financial outcome with Kirby Wealth Management Group. To get started, visit our website at justin-kirby.com. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts. Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. We're with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open along the way, 217-356-9397. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Doing well. Baseball last night, Cardinals over the Nationals 6-2. The Cubs win again over the Giants late out west 4-2. Cubs have won seven of the last ten ball games. They're playing well, and they're still, I guess, going to sell, aren't they, Contreras? Sounds like it. Sounds like they're... And maybe Hap as well. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about the Soto trade? What trade? (laughs) I don't think there's going to be one with the Cardinals, but (laughs) there's a lot of talk. There is a lot of talk. They're going to have to give up Walker, maybe they have to give up Gorman to, to get him. Maybe. And then you've only got him for a couple of seasons. It will take more than that. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, but, but those are the yeah. those are the big names right. among the guys, the young guys. Yep, it's fun to spend other people's money, right? <laughs> sure. Not, not your money. Just throw the deal out there. But I don't know what's going to happen. I think something will. But they've got other issues. The Cardinals do. Yeah, the, they got pitching, the pitching issues without a well. doubt. The White Sox uh, lost to Oakland seven to three. Sox are forty nine and fifty. Sox fans are saying this will be the week they get things turned around and make their run. They're still not. All the way out of things by any means. Get over five hundred at least. But you don't want to be sitting there, eighty and eighty-one, saying, "Now's the time to make your run." Yeah, be a little bit too late. So those are the baseball scores. Illinois football fall camp opens today. Yep. First game is four weeks from today against Wyoming. You got one hundred and seventeen players out there, and I don't quite understand. That. There must be an NCA rule, or a big, it's not a Big Ten rule. NCA rule they got to cut to one ten. And they've got 117 right now with Rico Jackson uh, decommitting. Big tackle out of Florida, was it? Fort Lauderdale, yeah. So he's changed his mind apparently. He didn't say whether he would still consider Illinois. Sometimes people commit and say that, but they yeah. almost never yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, recommit. Yeah. So that uh, some of the football news. But uh, they'll get after it on the field uh, this afternoon. And uh, that game is four weeks from today, 3 o'clock on August the 27th against Wyoming. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit here in the first half hour of the show and kind of remember the 80s 
at Illinois. And what uh, kind of prompted us uh, to do that is learning that uh, Athletic Director Neil Stoner out uh, in California is not in the best of health. And uh, we thought it'd be a good time to just kind of remember some of the the things that went along during his run here in Champaign-Urbana. Yeah, he is in hospice now, and uh, that's not a good uh, long-term sign, of course. And got Dana Brenner with us here, and Dana kind of came from Fullerton with Stoner, didn't you? 1980, was that? Yeah, 19, hard to believe. (laughs) April 1st, fooled everybody. (laughs) 1980. Not a joke, huh? (laughs) No joke. Yeah. Was was the Illinois job one that... that how, how did that go down? Did they come looking for Neil? Did Neil see an opening, or how, how did that work? Uh, they went looking for Neil. Uh, you know, when they decided to make a, a change, um, they were looking for uh, an athletic director who had uh, experience and success uh, with basketball. Now, Fullerton's uh, football program hadn't reached the level of success that Neil wanted, um, but their basketball program, you know, had recently uh, made it deep into the NC2A basketball uh, tournament. I want to get into that, but, I, but I'm thinking back. I, it sound, am I correct? Gerberding was the uh, chancellor at that time at the University of Illinois, and when he left, he fired Coleman. Uh, yes, Cecil Coleman, and that created that created that created an opening, and, yep. and Illinois threw the thing open to people all over the country. Correct. Anybody and. Uh, I don't know who the other people, uh, the other candidates were. Do you remember that at all, Dan? I, I have no idea what the, who they were. I was still worried about football <laughs> back well, in Southern California at the time. Well, Stoner so. came in here just in time to hire Mike White. Yeah, well, he came in uh, for the last, uh, well, for the football season of, uh, what was it, 79 with, with Gary and uh, made the change, I think, at the end of that season based upon what he saw and then uh, shortly thereafter brought in Mike uh, I think Mike came in just in time to start recruiting, maybe late January, early February. Um, well, being from California, can you explain our success with the junior college players out of California? Were they, <laughs> Mike certainly had an end there. Uh, I, that's true. He did. Uh, he recruited out there heavily. Uh, he'd been uh, you know, a player out there, a coach out there for many years and very successful at, uh, at Cal um, where he recruited uh, heavily through the junior college process um, and he continued that here now he didn't have the connections to the some of the great programs back in the Midwest at a junior college but he certainly had them in, in southern and northern California and they're good programs uh, they're uh, they're programs where maybe a student athlete who's uh, not ready to play at a big D1 school can get um, 18 to 22 games in of experience and coaching and practice uh, to get ready to make that jump and, and become successful at the next level, so it's uh, those are those are valuable players that had that number of games and, and with the athletic ability that maybe matured a little later. Talking to Dana Brenner, you spent more than thirty years on the uh, staff at the U of I, and coming from California, you must like like it here. You're still here, right? <laughs> well, we're we're still here. We love it. Uh, Champagne Urbana, you can me. It's it's uh, it's fantastic. Um, it's a great place to, to live and work. Uh, it's even better community to raise kids. Um, my wife and I have got three daughters, and uh, they're all born and raised here in Champaign. Uh, I, I joke with her a lot because our families are on the West Coast. They say, well, we'll come out for five years and get some experience, and, and we'll start moving you know, back towards the West Coast to be closer to, to family. And uh, I tease you and say, no, honey, I didn't say five. I said 35. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about Neil Stoner as a, 
as a boss, as a leader of an athletic uh, department, some of the things he did here? Well, first of all, Neil's just a terrific person. And uh, some of the skills that that he had, uh, interpersonal skills, to to deal with people and talk with people, to motivate people. Um, Honestly, one of the, the most outstanding skills he had, which I truly admire, is if he met you once, he would remember your name. That was a priority for him. And he was so good about that. I, I can't tell you the number of people who come up and go, how did, did he have a photographic memory that way? He, 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 he finally told me that he had gone to a, a class and taken a class in that. So he, it's something that you had to work on and, and you know, take I, care of and nurture. But, yes. Uh, I he, heard that he, he could walk in a room and, 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 I, and if they identified yep. 20 people, he'd tell, he knew all 20 immediately. Yep. I don't know how. That's impossible. That, that is an unbelievable skill that really makes people feel good. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it was, a, it was a tool that he used. Um, but as a leader, he was terrific. He, he, uh, he gave you direction. Uh, he set the tone. He set the pace. Um, but at the same time, he allowed you to, to do your job function accordingly report back um, but what he what he brought in here uh, and established I think is a clear decisive program for uh, what Illinois needed to do uh, obviously it had to improve football basketball was in great shape uh, they had to improve fundraising and and then they had to win and uh, I think he did a lot of those things uh, he really energized fundraising uh, to a point I think when he first came here it was about Four hundred thousand uh, dollars a year, and soon after it was up over three million, right. which was huge at the time. Uh, that allowed him to, to go into uh, you know building and doing some uh, some things there for to improve obviously our uh, our programs. Our football program obviously was a top priority, and, and the uh, uh, football center that was built uh, inside Memorial Stadium was a huge uh, piece of that. Mm-hmm. So. He he was a he was a thinker. I mean, he came up with all kinds of ideas. tailgates, the bubble. Remember the the the, uh, the oh cover we had for Memorial Stadium that that lasted about ten years, didn't it? Something yeah, like. I think it lasted actually more than that. Yeah. Uh, but frankly, what a great decision to make. Uh, so, the bubble cost about um, I'm gonna you know million million and a half whatever that price tag was somewhere in there. But instead of building a huge permanent structure, he was able to. Give uh, you know Coach White and, and coaches on the backside of Coach White um, a place to practice during colder weather. Uh, yeah, you couldn't put it up until if the season was over, but you didn't have to make that initial infrastructure uh, expense. So uh, I, I just think that some of the decisions he made and, and tracks that he put us on as building program. You know, the Beafield Center, uh, the basketball center, baseball track. Uh, all those things exist today, and uh, they were on paper. Okay, uh, who came up? Who work. came up with the with the line? The eighties uh, belong to the Illini. Yeah, you guys hit me up that earlier. I, I'm I'm going to say all of them, uh, but obviously Neil had to approve it, and, uh, <laughs> so he gets the credit. It's a great one. Let's uh, let's ask Tom Porter if he remembers that. Tom, another administrator that uh, worked on the staff with Neil Stoner and Ron Gunther as well. Tom, good morning. How are you doing? Good. We're talking about uh, Neil Stoner and. Uh, the 80s. What do you remember about uh, your time uh, during that time here at the U of I? Well, you know, I came in under Cecil Coleman, and uh, uh, it was different times. We were an athletic association then, and Cecil was brought in to, to uh, uh, we had a huge debt, and he was in, he was told to take that debt down. 
and he squeezed a nickel so hard it bled to death. <laughs> so uh, the program was kind of stifled during his time because uh, we didn't have any, we didn't have any money. And then he brought in uh, Neil Stoner, who was exactly the opposite. And I think he, um, you know, he did a lot of interesting things. The '80s belonged to Illini. Came from the Illini Pride. Okay, Is that right? The ones that came up with the name. Okay. Yeah. Well, it still worked. It's yeah. still working today. People look back at that. We had what twenty-seven consecutive football sellouts and basketball, and the, from the Eddie Johnson teams all up through Harper and all up through Ephraim uh, uh, Winters and, and Douglas, and right on up through the the Final right. Four team. I remember the uh, the way the stadium used to shake. Oh yeah, they had to correct that. Yeah, they did. Remember that, Tom? Oh, I sure do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, was, was interesting is. We had the end zone patio, which is uh, where they used to pat, uh, park trucks. And at one time, it was a stadium superintendent's uh, apartment. And, um, uh, I, you know, I, I looked at that, and uh, uh, I was a Bill Vec fan back, and I read some of the things that he did. And I, I brought Neil out there and said, hey, we can make this into, a, a you know, a, an area for our, our donors. And he said, great idea. He said, go ahead and do it. I said, well, you know, we got to get approval from the university. Mm-hmm. There's an architectural committee and all that. He said, Tom, he said, I'm on my honeymoon. He says, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. And, we, you know, we had 400. Uh, we, we had two in, invitations lists, one before the game and one after the game. So we entertained about 800 um, potential donors uh, at each game. So th- those are the kind of ideas that he came up with that were phenomenal. You know, he started – um, uh, the caravan, which we had as many as 28 outings this summer, and we, uh, you know, we went, we went, hit almost every spot in the state, and we combined that with the Illini network that, that was started, and so we had a radio uh, personality and you know local stations in each one of those areas. So we can, he was brilliant at getting the word out. Dana, did uh, in your memory, did Neil know Mike White? prior to the interview process for the Illinois job? I don't believe so. I don't think he knew him personally. Obviously, he knew who he was. Both California he, guys. He, I know that he spent a lot of time uh, researching. Uh, good things about Mike and bad things. There are a lot of stories out there. So uh, Neil did a wonderful job of, of really trying to get to the bottom of it and finding the truth. And, uh, you know, Mike was hired and brought in the enthusiasm, energy, and you know he's a he's a salesman. He could uh, sell you on about everything, and uh, he did a terrific job of you know turning the program around to, to get it to win and get it get them started. It'd be nice to get back to those levels of crowds in the seven. We're not going to do it because the stadium's not that big anymore. But to get that that uh, level of enthusiasm going again, uh, to, yeah. Tom, the way it was during the the eighties. Well, I think he brought in a lot of the uh, junior college kids from California. And, of course, he had uh, great um, quarterbacks during that era. He brought in the, the what I call the West Coast offense, and it, it, it really changed the Big Ten. Uh, he was uh, Mike White was brilliant um, at, at developing an offense. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the crowds meant, meant so much. It meant so much to have all those uh, – Sellouts, and I, I I noticed in 1984 we played Missouri here, 78,000 people attended. Our last game with Northwestern, 
we had 27,000 that paid and less than half that many showed up. That's how far it's fallen in terms of attendance. And it was, I, and Stoner did a lot of things, by the way, to make sure that there were sellouts along the way. I mean, he was, he knew how to, you know, he was a salesman. I mean, he would have grocery stores and others selling the last thousand tickets or whatever. You can tell me about that. I mean, I don't know the. Tom can tell you about that because Tom was taking those tickets around all those grocery stores. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly right. I mean, the grocery, the, the IGAs in the area. We did a lot of surveys of fans, and um, most of our people came within a sixty mile range of, of Champaign Urbana, and so that's the area we hit. And and each one of those towns had a had a grocery store. So we got them behind us, and uh, they were actually selling tickets at their at their service um, counters. No kidding. And uh, yeah, we <laughs> there were many times when I had to go out, send my interns out to uh, give tickets to those areas to, to you know to because they ran out of tickets. So that was um, that was one of our things. Tailgrate was of course the best promotion in the United States during that time. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons we got that is we took a survey. And uh, for our fans, their parking spot was as important as their seating in the stadium. So we we try to use that um, in, in promoting attendance. Can those kind of marketing strategies work today, Tom, do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I think that they can. Um, uh, yeah, I used to have about 14 or 15 retired guys in the community that loved Illinois and we would send them out to all the businesses with posters and schedule cards and 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 a, and, um, a group brochure so we encouraged them to you know to uh, to bring their um, employees to games and of course we had we had a lot of tents a lot of corporate sales during that time which which really had you know which really helped our attendance um, yeah, I think a lot of those things could work today. I think timing worked out pretty good for him too, because Mike White was available when uh, when we went searching for a coach, and when Mike left, uh, Makovic was available for that one year. It was a perfect perfect timing, uh, Dana. Yep, it, w- it was uh, perfect. Mike had been uh, let go with Cal and was looking for work uh, with Dean wasn't looking, and then uh, obviously John was uh, was available when uh, when Mike stepped down. So. And, and Augie Garrido came in for baseball, and yeah. had Ed Beard came in for golf. And yeah. how, how many others did he bring with him from California? Redfern, maybe. Uh, Redfern. So uh, Redfern, uh, senior associate. Uh, Ed Beard, a golf coach. Augie for three years, a baseball coach. So and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good coaches, good people. Uh, you know, what are the talents that, that that Neil had is. He never forgot a name. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, we would we go to these different events um, during the caravan, and he would remember everybody's name that was there from the year before. He had he really had a gift of, of meeting people and, and and making them feel comfortable. Yeah. Well, I, I I still say that there, there must be some kind of a photographic memory there for to be able to do that, particularly a year later. Dana's right. There is some. Uh, there are some books and things out there. Jerry Lucas, who is the former mm-hmm. Ohio State yeah. basketball player, he has a memory book. Yeah, but he, he also had that memory. <laughs> well, I understand, but he, he could teach yeah. you how to do that. Yeah, well. Uh, I mean, that's, okay. uh, that's something, obviously, you're, you're, uh, he had uh, in his toolkit, but it's also something that he realized is extremely valuable, mm-hmm. and he worked on it. That was just not a process one time. That, 
that right. was something you had to continue to work on. So, have uh, Dana? Have you been in contact with uh, Stoner lately in the last no, few years? Not. Uh, it's been probably three years ago. Last conversation before the pandemic, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah, basically. And as as, uh, as far as you know, has he, he he's been retired since? Uh, yeah. He got out of the bowl business what, in 2000, somewhere in there. Uh, He's I, done... I think that was before then. In fact, I think he finished coaching golf. Well, he was in the California Bowl in, 2000, in 1992. Right. And, and then, then he coached from like 93 to 2000, yeah. okay. I think. It, it was a golf coach at San Diego State. Coached golf, coached tennis, tennis coached basketball. basketball. Yeah. Tom Porter, did you ever coach anything but wrestling? Come on. He coached football, Tom did. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, that was you know I was on the staff. I, I loved it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's a crump. He he brought me in to be the at that time freshman ineligible. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge. I was more in charge of the freshmen, and we we used to have three games um, against other opponents. And then when um, the, the freshmen also acted as a scout team against the varsity, so that's that was my assignment. Well, Tom, what's keeping you busy these days? Well, life is good. We just got back uh, from a trip to Bermuda, and so we're doing a little bit of traveling. Um, uh, uh, I've got a golf outing with the Illinois uh, wrestling team this afternoon. Um, I love Illinois sports, so I attend most of them. And, uh, that's it. Enjoy my grandkids and enjoying life. After you, after you retired in 99 uh, full-time, you still did some work with uh, for Ron Gunther, is that right, part-time basis? I did special projects for him, and then I went into coaching. I was also right. coach. I, I coached uh, coached at Muhammad. Then I went to Unity, um, and loved both of them. I just I love coaching. Coaching is my first love. That's kind of what goes around comes around, right? You start out coaching and go back to coaching. Yes. I just gotta. I gotta Maybe. know. Can you beat Gunther on the golf course? That's that's the most important thing. I can beat him on the mat. <laughs> you, can, you can break him down, huh? <laughs> well, Dana was a wrestler, too. I don't know if you know that. So, Dana, did you wrestle and play football in college? Uh, I, I did at my junior college um, and through high school, obviously. But uh, where I went to school, University of Pacific, uh, about a year or so before I went there, they dropped the wrestling program, which I was sad about because I would have continued to, to do both. You know, Dana, you're like a lot of people I know that retire but don't retire. You re- <laughs> you retired from the University of Illinois, but uh, you're still working full-time. Tell I, us about that. I'm still working full-time. Uh, I've got a terrific gig. Um, I work uh, for Champaign County Administration. I'm the facility director there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we take care of all of uh, – I've got about 20 buildings, uh, about 800, 900,000 square feet under roof that we take care of from – Maintenance standpoint, custodians, we do their capital asset projects uh, in terms of repairs to their HVAC systems, replacing roofs, you name it. So how many years have you been with the university now? Well, I was with the university for 33, and I've been with the county for uh, be nine years in November. I'd like to see your retirement. <laughs> I'll trade you. <laughs> Lauren's always thinking about where he's going to get his next dollar. Well, that's true. For lunch. Ever since we went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how close do you, uh, obviously you stayed here, so you're still close to the, the program. Do you still go to the games a lot? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
We've got season tickets mm-hmm. uh, for football, so we continue to uh, to go to football. Uh, we'll catch some ba- basketball games. Uh, you know, I still still love going to see you know some of the coaches that I worked with and, and their programs. So we'll, we'll get out. Um, you know, whether it's baseball or soccer or uh, volleyball um, or some of the other programs, we'll, we'll kind of make it around and, and see some of them every year. Um, but we've also got, uh, you know, as Tom has said, grandkids, and, and we've got three daughters that are raised here in this community, born and raised. And fortunately, we got one with three little boys, so we <laughs> we like playing with uh, with the grandsons. Well, I'd like to ask Tom how he'd get along coaching these days with NIL transfers. You got USC and UCLA coming this way. You got Texas and Oklahoma going that way. I mean, what's your reaction to all this, Tom? Well, I'm not. I'm not for it. I think we're there for student athletes to become better citizens and and give them a career and an education. Um, I think it'd be. A, I think it's really a tough gig now. I mean, you not only have to coach, you have to be promoter and a financial advisor and a marketer and to, you know in order to build a team so it's changed um we'll see we'll see if it's for the better um i think they, there's different ways they could have done it rather than nil but um i you know i'm an old timer now i sound like an old crotchy old man <laughs> well you can't do anything that doesn't pass uh, the courts that's a, that's part of the problem once these things go to court you never know how they're going to come out it's different than it used to be what do you think dana you know, I'm an old timer like Tom. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that it's. I, I wish he would have done something different. Um, I, I think that the student athletes do need uh, some dollars, and uh, I mean, I don't begrudge them getting what they can get, but um, you know, something a little bit more. And here's where the core problem is: how can you be fair to all the student athletes? And I had all the student athletes get all the same dollars. I get that as an issue, but you know. Uh, well, they're not I'm, going to get I'm the on same. the sidelines. I can say almost anything uh, <laughs> now, uh, and going off my own, you know, personal feelings. So it's uh, yeah, Tom's right, man. It's it's it would be very difficult to be an administrator uh, or a coach uh, in today's world of intercollegiate athletics. Uh, it's so tough. You got to have all those um, things in your tool belt, as Tom explained, to to provide your student athletes to be able to keep them. You got to. I mean, it's almost to the point now uh, where you have to recruit him every year. Yeah, that's right. Tom, what do you think about uh, Big Ten expansion? I'll ask that to Dana as well. But uh, uh, fourteen teams now going to sixteen, and who knows where from there? Well, I think it's a necessity yeah, for the Big Ten. Um, I think financially it'll be excellent. I think it'll be tough on uh, tough on the athletes uh, with the travel back and forth. Um, you know, as an old administrator, I'm wondering how do you get all your equipment to California for a, for a game? You know, uh, Dana knows all the logistics to that, but uh, it, it'll test everybody. That's for sure. Well, you, you got uh, you got straight flights from from LaGuardia to uh, LAX, but it takes eight hours. <laughs> that's that's, that's a, a big part of the, That's yeah. a big part of the day, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Eight hours. Just that's one way. Well, it's one thing, Dana, to to take a football team out for a bowl game when you're going to be there a week or yeah. ten days or whatever, but to go out for one game and back, that, that's well, yeah, a whole different think, thing. Yeah, think about uh, you know volleyball, soccer. Yeah, uh, think of your minor. Uh, I shouldn't say minor. Anymore. Olympic Olympic sports. Excuse <laughs> me again, showing my age. <laughs> um, those Olympic sports that are just having one game, they got to 
fly in the day before, play the game, and then fly home. With the hours in the Big Ten that you can spend on practice and games, competition, uh, for academic reasons, obviously the, this is going to be a challenge. They're probably going to have to take a good look at that and maybe make some changes with their, with their policy. Did either one of you guys ever sit in a meeting with Neil Stoner and he was kicking around ideas? Did you ever say to him or think, you want to do what? <laughs> was, he that, was he that kind of out-of-the-box Tom, thinker? Tom, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't think I ever came up with a, an idea, and I came up with some hair just off-the-wall stuff that he didn't say okay to. He was willing to, he was willing to try anything that would bring people and put them in the stands and improve the program. Well, good stuff. Tom Porter, Dana Brenner, uh, appreciate your time this morning. Good to catch up with you. And Great to see you guys. Tom, great to hear your voice. We need to get some coffee, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Absolutely. Tom. We need to work out together. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Tom. It is 928. We'll take a break and be back with more on Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Stay with us. The Pella Window Showroom in Champaign specializes in windows and doors. Illini Pella can help you select the right window and door for your project, whether it's for replacements, remodeling, or new construction. Right now, they ask that you plan further ahead to allow more time to get your windows and doors in stock. Labor and material shortages are causing some extended lead times. Illini Pella, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. PellaofChampaign.com. It is 9.32, Lonai Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11. Thanks to Tom Porter and Dana Brenner for uh, checking in with us. Sad news about uh, Neil Stoner. We wish him and his family well. He's been uh, placed in hospice, been battling, uh, what would you say, prostate cancer, Lord? That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Alan is with us. Good morning, Alan. What's on your mind today? Morning, guys. I had a friend of mine ask me a question yesterday. Whatever. Where did Chris Miller go? Chris Miller? The basketball player that the U of I had a couple years ago. Adam Miller? That? Oh, okay. I got the first name wrong. Adam Miller? Yeah. Where did he, he go? The LSU. He went back to LSU. Oh, he did? I thought he was leaving there. He was, but I don't think he did. He went back yeah. to LSU. Okay. All right. That's, uh, that's all you got? That's the only thing I got. <laughs> you don't have a Cardinal Say trade what? in mind? Trade for pitching. Yeah. I the problem is, where do, do you find, where do you find good pitching right now? I think they ought to bring Lester back. What do you think? No. <laughs> Can't do any worse. <laughs> no. No, can't do any worse. No, nah, he's retired. But uh, yeah, we we need pitching. I don't know where we're going to get from. All right, appreciate the Hopefully call. I would get rid of when they get healthy. I would get rid of Flaherty and uh, Hudson myself. But that's just me. Assuming somebody would take them, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, Alan. Thanks well, for the call. We can get a whole lot. Yeah, appreciate right, it. Thank you. Uh, one of the texts we had this morning. Uh, suggested or say that said they heard this and these are all names that have been bantered around from the Cardinal standpoint um, 
Soto for Carlson, Yepes, Walker, Libertor, and Mason Wynn. I say no to that. That's that's too much to give up in my mind. But We don't know enough about Wynn and Walker. They both could be stars. They could be. Although Wynn's not going to be a great hitter. But I think but Carlson is coming into his own. I, I understand. Uh, yeah, Carlson's playing a lot better, yes, and he boy, is. he's good defensively. I've heard that. You know, I the, mean, he's almost as good out there as Bader. Uh, he is. Do I say that? I yes. Mean, I mean, he's pretty good. Yes. And Bader's not going to hit. I mean, in the long term, he's not going to hit. Carlson's a switch hitter. Yeah. Um, now Gorman's name has popped up as well, and he's well. You hate to give up on Gorman because he's got so much potential, but he strikes out so much. That's not that's what unusual. Those guys do. Yeah. That's not unusual. I understand, but is he going to be a two forty hitter? I mean, I don't know. That that's a pretty low percentage. Like see him up there around three hundred. And you know, as you said, you don't know about Walker or uh, when Walker. Um, Walker's the hottest prospect in baseball, isn't he? One of them. He is. But he's, you have to DH him or find a new position for him. Yeah, he's a third baseman, isn't he? Yeah, or, yeah. or first. <laughs> those are, those well, Gorman's a third baseman, too. I know, but... Get rid of Arenado. <laughs> if you're a third baseman or a first baseman of the Cardinals system, you might as well... Yeah, that's that's right. Find the... Hey, give me that catchy gear. <laughs> give me in the game somehow. That's well, another by issue. By the way, they need a catcher. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. And they they need too much to, to think that they're going to contend, really. No. It'll be interesting this weekend. Uh, the trade deadline is Tuesday, so we'll see how that goes. There's going to be a lot happening here in the next two days, Steve. Yep. Um, I saw the Reds sent uh, their pitcher to Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, Castillo, so it, it started it a little bit. The Cubs are talking about trading a couple of guys. and uh, yep. In the meantime, the non-conference portion of the Illinois basketball schedule was released uh, this week. We knew what the... Uh, Obviously, the conference uh, schedule was. We don't know the dates and times yet on that. But uh, Illinois will play an exhibition game on Friday, October 28th against Quincy and then open the season on Monday, November 7th against Eastern Illinois. Also on the non-conference schedule, you knew about some of these games, but not all. They play Kansas City, Monmouth. Then they play UCLA and either Baylor or Virginia in Vegas. The other home games are Lindenwood on Friday, November 25th. Syracuse is on that schedule. You knew about that. Then uh, Texas at Madison Square Garden. And then the other two uh, non-conference home games are Alabama A&M and Bethune-Cookman. Well, it's not a very good schedule for the home fans, I will say that. Syracuse game, of course, we're looking forward to that. And that's a game Illinois should win, I would think, based on the losses that uh, the, the the Bayheims are gone, except for the coach, and uh, the other games are just not very attractive. I'd I mean. like you to say a different name when you said Syracuse. That we're looking forward to that game because if that's the the main home game you're looking forward to, that doesn't flip my skirt much at all. No, I know. I'm, that's but but it is a I know it is a legitimate. Uh, I get that challenge, but, but it's a game. As I said, Illinois should win that game. They and should. They should win all their home games, basically, and that's not saying that they have to be great to do that. But they other, but they got five really tough games away from home, and uh, and you know, I mean, I, I I don't know how good Missouri's going to be now that they say that their junior college uh, transfers, two of them, and and uh, and one other transfer that they have in, are going to be 
quality players, and maybe they'll be as good as they were last year, but they weren't very good last year. And that's why the coach got fired, and now they're starting over. And, uh, of course, Illinois, a great, to a great extent, is starting over, too. We're, we're anticipating uh, without knowing, Steve, as far as this, this basketball team is concerned. We don't know how good we're going to be. Sky Clark uh, said last night. That's good news. That he's been 100% cleared. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've caught bits and pieces of video uh, excerpts from practice drills and such, and I've seen him there, but you don't know how, how involved he was over the course of the two-hour practice. Well, but he, now he's 100% cleared. He's cleared, but that doesn't mean he's got all his athleticism back. Sure. And that's the concern, and he's still got three or four months to, to bring that around before, the, before it gets important. But uh, uh, there's, there's concern about the point guard because they've determined that Epps, I'm told, they've, de- they've determined that Epps is not a point guard, and they really don't have a second point guard. Uh, I'm told that uh, as good as anybody in handling the ball is Rodgers. Right. But he's obviously a, a forward, and I call him a point forward because he can he can bring the ball up and he can do things. But uh, two freshmen at point, uh, that's not the best situation normally. You like to have your point guard to have a little experience. I talked to someone who watched practice this week. Okay. And the first name he mentioned – as being impressive to him, was Epps. Is that right? He said that he's got a, a great can, body for a freshman. He's strong. Mm-hmm. He's a bucket getter. He just he's knows a bucket how, getter, yeah. He knows how to get to the basket and 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 score. And then he mentions some of the other guys, too. But mm-hmm. uh, so uh, No, I hear great things on Epps as a scorer, but not as a point guard. And he said Shannon is. He actually talked to Shannon. He said he's a – and you might guess this. He's been around for a while, but he's a very mature guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, handles himself well uh, in situations talking to, to adults and, and seems to be that guy that will probably be the team leader on this mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the phones, and uh, Bob in Urbana is with us. Hey, Bob. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, uh, talking about uh, 6'6 uh, uh, point guard, I think Steve Lanter proved that you can do it if you have the skill set, and he was one, and I think we were 15-0 and 0 the year he was – he he was uh, the point guard, and then he got hurt, or we had something happen. Yeah, he got he hurt, but I, he I wasn't don't, six. He six. was not. He was yeah. not. No, he was not six six. Okay, I I thought he was taller, maybe six four, six five. I don't think so, but I, mean, I think he's more Trent Frazier size. No, six okay. foot, no, six. no, he was over six feet. I think. Yeah, but, he, but yeah, but. I I thought he was the a taller point guard. So that's that's been a long time ago. But I I thought that. But then on our team, if you have Ty Rogers and R.J. Melendez, uh, Melendez could play point. You might have a thing where you could have six six guys in four positions, and then have a six nine or six ten playing the 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 uh, uh, center position. So there's all kind of options there. And I think uh, it, again, if if Epps doesn't play point, he's going to be a shooter. And he's going to get the ball a lot to be able to shoot. And I've seen the videos on, on the internet of his uh, shooting ability, and he's pretty good at that. So, anyways, look looking going to be a pretty good season for us. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Bob. We appreciate the call. Two one seven three five six nine three nine seven is the number. If you'd like to uh, jump in on the text line, it's two one seven three five one five three five seven to get in touch with us that way. 
you're uh, thinking about uh, some home improvements that might involve windows and doors, how about a trip to the Pellow Window Store at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign? They've got a series called the Lifestyle Series, which are wood windows and patio doors that provide outstanding sound control plus energy efficiency, all at a great value. Most of the styles are available with uh, triple-pane glass, which can improve energy conservation. And the Lifestyle Series is a leader in energy efficiency, plus you can personalize your solutions for each uh, room in your home with available product packages. All you got to do is stop by 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. That's the uh, showroom there. And check out the Pella Lifestyle Series. Give them a call, 356-6474 in Champaign. They're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 4, Saturday by appointment. I'm going to get this out, <laughs> Lauren. You just hang with me. Pellaofchampagne.com <laughs> is where you can find them online. You were raising your hand. Pella yeah. is the best. Yeah, Lantern 6-4, according to okay. the 78 team roster. But uh, So he he was taller than I thought. I would have guessed him 6-2, six, 6-3, six, but... That's a long time ago, and he's six four, based on the listing. Well, he was I, I then. Te- I don't know if he is now. <laughs> well, I would tell you that Eddie Johnson was six eight at Illinois, six seven. No, I'm sorry, six eight at Westinghouse, six seven at Illinois, and six six in the NBA. <laughs> Who was the big center at Iowa? From uh, the name just flew out of my head as I started to say it. From from the state of Illinois, I think. But he was a seven two, and then he ended up about six nine <laughs> through his career. The best of ever was Verdusco. Yeah. Verdusco checked in at six feet, yeah. and he's five nine. Yeah, and went a quarterback. Hayden Fry once told me when I did a pregame interview with him, he said, "Well, with the key to beating this team is we've got to handle that little rascal at quarterback." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Talking about Verdusco. Moving up on nine forty five, we're going to talk some Illinois football with Martin O'Donnell. When we come back, stay with us. Your calls are welcome as well on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 9.47, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock today. The phone line is open. We've talked uh, some football and basketball and baseball here uh, throughout the first hour. We're going to go back to football. Martin O'Donnell is with us, Illinois radio football analyst, former All-American at the University of Illinois. Martin, how you doing, my friend? You ready for some football? I was born ready, Steve. Born <laughs> ready. I'm glad I'm glad to get called in this morning. You know, you go to the bullpen. I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to football season, and uh, just can't wait for that calendar to really officially turn over to August because that's game month. Well, how are those guys feeling right now, today, getting set to go into fall practice for the first time? You know, they should be feeling pretty good. I, I think you get, usually get a little bit of a rest. You know, you go through summer conditioning and all that stuff, which is not a whole lot of fun. Uh, but then really you just kind of start ramping up towards, you know, really what you're there for, and that's the season. So I think, I think you know, they should be, your body should be feeling good. You should be feeling strong. Uh, you know, I, I know Tank Wright's got him right uh, in the weight room and in the off-season conditioning program. But there's, you know, there's always a little bit of you know anxiousness, and uh, especially for the guys that are you know brand new, that you know kind of the freshman incoming or some transfers, you know, probably a few more butterflies. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the the light's kind of at the end of the tunnel when it comes to the off-season program because you got kickoff coming up here soon. Year two of the uh, Brett Bielma 
era. How do you feel about year one now that you've looked back on that five and seven season? There are a couple of games there they they let get away, but I guess on the other hand, there's a couple of wins maybe you didn't expect. Uh, Nobody could have predicted the win at Penn State in nine overtime games or nine overtime. But uh, your thoughts on that as it pertains to heading into year number two? I think you just have to feel really encouraged. You know, I think obviously the the goal every year is at least to get to a bowl game and then, you know, really start competing for championships and everything that comes along with that. But I think you look at it, you'd be two ranked teams on the road. Um, You know, as as you mentioned, you lost a couple games at home that you really would have liked to win in UTSA and Maryland. But that stuff's in the rearview mirror right now. I think you're very encouraged. I like what they've done in the offseason. And, you know, really, Steve, what, what I come back to with a lot of this is, at the end of the day, it's it's about personnel and it's about leadership, especially. And I really think, you know, leadership for the program for Brett Bielema, uh, and I think he hired a tremendous staff. And so I, I feel really, really good about that. And, and I think the rest of it's just going to kind of come along with it. But it's going to take a little bit of time for some of it. Is you know, we're going to get our recruits and we're going to find guys that fit into the program. But we have to become a developmental program where we're consistently getting guys better year in, year out. Um, and going from there. And, and I think we took a really good step with that in year one, and I look forward to a bigger step here in year two. I'm going to take you down the line here a little bit. Uh, Kendrick Green is, uh, announced, uh, it was announced at Pittsburgh that he's moving back from center to guard. Uh, said he really didn't want to play center last year, but he played the whole year with the Steelers. But uh, he's back at guard now. And I, I, I bring this up because Pilstrom is, is moving from a – other positions to center how difficult how difficult would it have been for you to move from guard to center for a year I mean have you ever thought about that or or maybe you did some of that I don't know you know it it would be it would be really challenging I I think you know the the thing about the center position is you know whether you're playing you know on the left side at guard or tackle or on the right side at guard or tackle you kind of have a lot of the same – there's only so many different things you can do. You know, you got your, your run blocking to the right, your run blocking to the left, and, you know, and generally the amount and variety of, of aspects that can kind of happen there, they're somewhat finite. But when you're at the center position, you got to be great going to the left. you got to be great going to the right. you got to be great pass setting to the left with somebody on your left shoulder. you got to be great pass setting to the right with somebody on your right shoulder. you got to be able to operate if there's nobody up over the top of you. So it's really challenging. I think a lot of times, you know, people take the approach, you know, because in the NFL they usually carry, what, seven guys. So they always have a guy that can play all three positions on the inside. But that's not easy. It's really challenging to make that happen. I mean, heck, you know, my body by the time I got done playing – um, you know, I could barely play right guard, let alone trying to move to center, just because the muscle memory is, gets so fixed there. So, you know, I'm always impressed, and I think it's underrated by a lot of people how challenging it is to kind of bop guys from one position to another. Um, so, yeah, Alex Pilstrom, I mean, I think the positive thing here is it's not like, hey, it's the week before the game, and, oh, by the way, you're going to have to play center. I mean, he's been preparing for that. He's been preparing for it, you know, all off season. got a lot of reps in the spring. So I think it's really challenging when you ask guys to do that. But, again, you can overcome a lot of those different things just by hard work. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that, that Bart Miller laid out a plan for him. Um, and I'm, I'm, I had not heard that about Kendrick. I think that's great. I think Kendrick's better position is going to be at guard at the NFL level because it is just so challenging because you gotta, you got to get the calls right, you got to snap the ball. Oh, and by the way, then you got to block um, that monster that's lining up over top of you. So yeah, I, I, I think Green and, and Allegretti both have played center for Illinois, right. uh, you know, although that wasn't their preferred position. But it's interesting to me that if you look back at centers at Illinois, Kramer played four or five years. You had Duke Preston. You had Joe, Joe Spencer. All the way yeah. back to Butker. All these guys played 
years. Three years or more. You know, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, here's Pilstrom stepping in, and this is one year and out because he's his, this is his final year. Yeah. No, I mean, that, and Illinois has been really fortunate. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it. Illinois had some really great guys. You know, Ryan McDonald was a very good center, mm-hmm. and Ryan was, you know, a four-year starter. He played some tackle, but then played three years at center. Uh, but you're right, and and you've had guys kind of slide in there as well. You know, shout out Matt Maddox. Um, I played with him. Matt was a right guard. He had to slide in and play center his last year uh, just because the team needed him to. And and so that can happen. I mean, you can have guys that, that do that. But, again, it, it's not easy simply because of everything you have to have happen. Now, I think the advantage is that a guy like Pilstrom is he's a veteran. He's played a good amount of football here at the University of Illinois. Um, and so you don't have to kind of get over the hump with those types of jitters or anything else like that. Um, but it, it's going to be different, and you got to have leadership there because that center has to get the blocking assignments right, and you got to make sure that everybody's aligned, that you're on the same page with the quarterback, all those different things. So, uh, so yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident in his ability to do it. Um, but he's just got to go out there, and you know, I'm sure he'll get better week over week. Speaking of veterans on the offensive line, you've got Alex Belcheski, who's been who was he there when you were there when you were playing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Ian better. I think, I think Palcio's been around for quite some time, uh, but he's not collecting Social Security yet. Like, no, he's been. So. This is his sixth year, and uh, he, he will be certainly one of the leaders along there. But how do you feel about the depth on the offensive line? That's always always a concern. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I don't know how to feel about it. I'm, I'm really looking forward. I was not able to get out too much in the spring. I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting out there a little bit in fall camp. I think. The thing that I really like is we're starting to get the numbers there that you need to in terms of scholarship offensive linemen, and then you just got to figure out, hey, who are the best five that we can get out there at any given time, and then who's the next five? And so I think that's what a lot of – they started doing that in the spring, but then you add a couple more guys you know, in here in terms of you know, the guys who are, who are freshmen – um, you know, a couple transfers coming in. you got to keep working through that. And that's what you spend a lot of time in fall camp is, okay, some of the starting positions you have a good idea, and this is for every position, but you got to use the fall camp to really figure out, hey, who can play? And they'll mix guys in. You know, they'll put somebody usually with the twos. They'll put them with the ones. They'll start doing that for all the positions, really just to kind of stress guys and see how they handle the pressure, see how they handle kind of stepping up. So depth-wise, I don't really know how to feel right now. I think I feel – uh, pretty good from talking with some of the coaches. I think, yeah, obviously getting Paltrow back was enormous um, simply because, you know, my guess is they'll put him out there at tackle. And I think if you have he and Julian Pearl, that gets you in a pretty good position from tackle. And then you got to figure out kind of who are your guards there. Um, and they had some transfers that I think are going to contribute awfully uh, significantly. Alex Pilstrom, as you mentioned, you'll play him a little bit at center. So um, that's one thing I really look forward to seeing, is especially along the offensive and defensive lines, who are those next guys? Because if you're playing big-time college football, you're going to need guys. You're not going to be healthy all year, but you have to be able to have guys and develop that depth in order for having people to come in, contribute, um, and not skip a beat. Well, part of big-time college football these days is expansion. What are your feelings on that? I love it. I love it. You know, I I think, uh, you know, obviously, I think the, the, the realignment and the expansion stuff had quieted down, and then, you know, the SEC goes and grabs. Oklahoma and Texas. So I think it's pretty good, um, you know, getting USC, getting UCLA. I mean, those are two big-time brands. Um, you know, geographically, obviously, it's, it's going to be a challenge, especially for the Olympic sports. How do you coordinate all those different things? Uh, but I really think what it does is, you know, between the Pac-12 and the ACC and, and, and or Pac-12 and the Big 12, you know, at least my opinion is I, I think only one of those conferences kind of makes it out alive. And so it's really, I think that's the interesting thing that I'm sitting back waiting is, 
you know, what's the what's the next move? Is it the Big 12 going and trying to grab the Arizona schools? You know, is it the Pac-12 going and trying to grab, you know, an Oklahoma State or, or Kansas or somebody like that? But um, it's certainly an interesting time. Um, I was fortunate when, when I played, we played UCLA twice and, and USC once. So um, not completely foreign concepts for me playing those two programs. Well, the feelings aren't the same as they used to be. I saw, I, I mentioned this earlier that the, Pac-12 had a meeting the other day, and they didn't invite uh, the two teams that are leaving. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, I mean, uh, you know, if you're making plans for the future, uh, yeah, you got to plan without them. And yeah, no, I think well, it's coming quick, right? 2024 is the plan. Yeah, yeah. And how do you see the something happened this week that uh, made me blink? I had never given much consideration to a 16-team playoff. I thought the 12 was probably the max, and I liked the idea of the four games on campuses to start out with. But now they're saying that to keep the bowls happy, they need to go to 16 and and have the first eight games would be bowl games. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know why they need to keep the bowls happy. Well, they they do. (laughs) They they do want to. Well, they, well, they want. The, I mean, I, I think they want the they want the game inventory on television is a big thing. And you know, look, I, I think that's the interesting thing here, Lauren, that you're really kind of hitting on is you have all this expansion, and it's interesting to kind of play these, uh, you know, kind of games on your head. You know, kind of hey, what happens here? What happens there? Um, you know, I think it's good all this stuff that's happening with NIL. I think it's good that kids who are contributing um, and really to, to the revenues of the conferences and to the teams uh, and to the colleges and universities are able to get some money. Um, you know, the, but the whole, I mean, it, it's just, it's changing, you know, it's becoming much more professionalized and I'm not necessarily opposed to it. Um, but you know, you, you mentioned the bowl games. I mean, the bowls are just exhibitions and really what the college football playoff has done is basically shined a light on it and said, look, these are the only bowl games that really matter because everything else just is an exhibition. So right. how they kind of walk that line will be interesting. Um, certainly the bowls, they do a lot of good from a charitable perspective. So I hope there's, there's a way to continue to maintain that. Um, and you know, heck, I I'm really looking forward to hopefully to keep a lot of bowl games around because, like I said, I I feel confident that the coach Bielema is going to have us in a bowl game on a regular basis, and um, I have not lived that in my Illini fandom, so I look forward to it. I'd like to see if they go to 20 teams in the Big Ten. I'd like to see uh, two 10 team divisions with the winners yeah. playing in the Rose Bowl for sure. the Big Ten championship. Yeah. I like it. That works. You might have to move the date of the Rose Bowl a little sooner to to get that done. But uh, if you're going to still have that winner play in the playoffs after you that, you might wind up playing more than one game in the in the Rose Bowl right. with all this, yeah, with all these possibilities. Hey, Martin, good stuff. Always good to catch up with you. Look forward to the season and working with you once again. And uh, glad you're well and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Not much left. Not much left, but thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You too. We'll talk to you soon. That's Martin O'Donnell from the Fighting Illini Sports Properties broadcast radio team. We're hitting the top of the hour, WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. And we're back with hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. My name is Denise Martin. I'm a diehard Illini fan and admittedly love the Cubs. When it comes to financial planning, most financial companies ask, what's your salary? At Kirby Wealth Management Group, we ask, what's your story? We know building the right financial plan means looking at more than money. That's why we start by asking the right questions, listening to what matters most to you, then guiding you every step of the way to help you live the life you want now and years from now. 
Call us today at 217-355-9390. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. 10.03, we're heading towards 11 o'clock this morning as usual. The Lanai Fellas Saturday Sports Talk, busy first hour. Heading off the second hour, we're going to talk some more Big Ten uh, football and uh, Brandon Brown is with us from Ann Arbor, Wolverine Digest. Good morning, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing today? Good. You were down in Indianapolis uh, earlier this week for uh, Big Ten Football Media Days. I guess that's the kind of the official end of summer, right? <laughs> it, yes. It starts to feel like football is really here once you go to that. Everybody's talking. There's a the buzz. And, you know, most of the programs across the country are, uh, you know, NFL and college kicking off fall camp uh, within the next couple of days or some already have. So, yeah, that's that's kind of when it starts to feel real for sure. Yep, Illinois kicks off today. Of course, they play in that uh, week zero uh, uh, weekend, uh, four weeks from today against Wyoming. You mentioned the buzz. What's the buzz in Ann Arbor? A bit defending Big Ten champs got to be feeling pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jim Harbaugh was pretty chipper and pretty happy and, you know, uh, took a couple shots at Ohio State, which Michigan fans, of course, love. And, yeah, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're really talented. Uh, there is a little bit of a quarterback battle going on between Cade McNamara, who started last year, and J.J. McCarthy, the true sophomore, who seems to have a lot of upside. But, I mean, when you win 12 games, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, go to the playoff, like, it's hard to it's hard to just say, all right, Cade, thanks for, thanks for what you did. Now it's J.J.'s turn. So that's that's pretty much the biggest storyline heading into fall camp. But, yeah, there is a lot of buzz, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, but there's some turnover as well, and they lost a lot of really good players. And so there's an excitement, though. I mean, Michigan's going to be in really good shape uh, when it comes to, like, this point, you know, the point spread. I feel, Most people think they're going to be favored in the first 11 games of the season, and then there's, you know, the big showdown with Ohio State that's always there at the end of the year. So lots of excitement around Ann Arbor right now. Brandon, this is Lauren. I, I I don't know how to ask this, but what's it like to deal with Jim Harbaugh? I mean, I I watched him and, and, and you know, and I just can't figure out what he's thinking sometimes. I mean, he, he's de- he's just different, isn't he? There's no question. There's no question. And I you know I took a lot of heat over the last year and a half or so. I mean, I was very critical of Jim Harbaugh you know, for being 0-5 against Ohio State, for never even making the Big Ten title game, obviously not really sniffing the playoffs because of that. And, I, you know, I maintain that if his name wasn't Harbaugh and he didn't play at Michigan, he wouldn't be there anymore. And then, of course, last year they had a magical season, win the Big Ten, go to the playoff, and, you know, he earned himself a lot of uh, a lot of leash. And I, I think, and rightfully so, I, I just think it, it's rare for a, a coach to get that many years when you're not doing what you were brought to brought to a job to do and when you come to Michigan and when you're Jim Harbaugh all the success you've had at Stanford and then in the NFL and then you're kind of like you know the prodigal son returning to Ann Arbor and it and it wasn't the biggest goals weren't there he was 500 against Michigan State I, I thought he should be gone I really did after the two and four 2020 season I thought that should be it and now he's you know now he's at the top of the conference and he's in a, in a great mood all the time he's got a very very talented team and I just 
I was just able to travel around the state of Michigan with the football team, with Jim Harbaugh. And there is something about the dude, though, still, even after, you know, rubbing you the wrong way a little bit here and there and not winning, you know, like a lot of people thought he should through the first six years, seeing him in that environment with his players, with some of his family, with his other coaches. He's an endearing guy. His players go to war for him. And, and, but, yes, he is a little bit different. He does things how he wants to do them. He's a, kind of an enigma, pretty polarizing. But, you know, right now he's on the top. Uh, he's on the top of the mountain. So Michigan fans are happy and excited for 2022. Yeah, he's been successful as a coach. Even at, even at Michigan, he's 61-24. and 24. I know that's not great. But that if you go back to the Rich Rod and beyond, and since then it's been kind of shaky for, for uh, Michigan for a while. And um, he seems to have it on the right track. But I just – He's such a – and you, the word enigma really covers him because I just thought that the one question that he refused to answer at the at the press conference had, had the writer just kind of confused as to what this – you know, he, he said, I don't know, and that was it. <laughs> and yeah, you don't, you don't normally – you don't have a coach do that very often. It's really, it's really funny, you know, for me and other people in the Michigan market who are – you know, who see him – two, three times a week during the season and get a chance to, you know, interact with them on a regular basis when these national writers, I, I can tell when a national writer starts to ask a question that's not going to land. I'm like, well, this is, this is going to be good. And it's like, <laughs> it's like the national writers don't know exactly how to approach them and how to deal with them. And it's, almost, right. like a, it's almost like a running joke among the people that cover him on a day, day-to-day basis. Like, you know when a question is going to work and when it's not. And <laughs> I just always find it funny. I just Like, Gene Wojciechowski came to Ann Arbor last year before the Ohio State game and tried to ask one of his kind of, like, deep philosophical-type questions. And while he's building it up, I'm like, oh, boy, Gene, you just don't know, do you? And sure <laughs> enough, Harbaugh wouldn't answer it, and I'm not going there. And it's just, that's just kind of how he is, man. That's how he rolls. But he also looks kind of strange when he's doing it. That's what you just look at. Him, oh, okay. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the team. You got eight offensive starters back, four defensive. Uh, sounds like you got a lot of offense there with two good quarterbacks, great running backs. Uh, is the offense going to be uh, going to have to carry this? Is the defense going to be able to keep up? It's going to be really interesting. I mean, you know, you lose two two or three guys on defense, like Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick, David Ojabo, who would have been a first-round pick had he not been injured during his pro day, still ended up being a second-round pick. And then Daxton Hill at the back of the defense, who was a late first-rounder as well. So, yeah, they've got a lot to replace on defense. But it's interesting. I was talking to a couple of the players over the week throughout this, this Michigan tour, and they actually feel like they're going to be a little more diverse, a little more multiple. Like when you've got two guys like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, you don't want them to do anything other than rush the passer on mm-hmm. every single play. Whereas now they've got some guys who can drop back into coverage. You can do some second-level blitzing. You can mix some things up a little bit, twists and stunts with the linebackers and the defensive linemen. So there's a sense that they're going to be able to do a little bit more because last year you just didn't want to take either one of those two guys off the pass rush. So that'll be interesting to watch. Of course, they've got a new coordinator as well, but everything we've heard is that Jesse Minner, the new coordinator, is almost a carbon copy of Mike McDonald, who's now you know coordinating the defense for the Ravens. So a lot of turnover, a lot of changes on defense, so that's going to be a big question mark. There's talent there. There's guys who have made plays, but just not, not really regularly because they, they haven't played as many snaps. And then on offense, they're just loaded. They have so many skill weapons, tons of speed in the receiver room. There's size in there. There's a, a little bit of everything in the receiver room. You mentioned the two running backs, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, two tight ends who are all Big Ten caliber guys, and Luke Schoonmaker and Eric All. 
the Joe Moore, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line from last year might actually be better this year with the transfer center, Olu Oluwatimi from Virginia. It's a loaded group, and then there's that, that giant elephant in the room. Is it going to be Cade or is it going to be J.J.? You go with the safe option, Cade, who won you 12 games last year, or the more dynamic, more athletic J.J., who's just a true sophomore, who's kind of the gunslinger. So it, there, it, it's just a, it's a fun offseason because they won, it, they won it all last year, and now everybody's waiting to see what it looks like in 2022. Well, as you uh, look at uh, – at the overall situation, how do you feel about the Big Ten? Uh, Illinois loves being in the Western Division and feel like they can compete in that division. In a couple of years, it looks like we're going to have just one big conference uh, standings. Uh, is Michigan going to is, – does is Michigan favor that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the East has been, you know, has been better. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just no other way to slice it. It's been sure. better. Every year, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State's had some ups in there. You've got Penn State. It's just been really, really competitive. And so it's going to be interesting, you know, with the additions of USC and UCLA and the seemingly inevitable shift to the mega conference, you know, whatever that's going to look like. Is it 20 teams? Is it 22, 24? Like, I mean, there's, there's just so many moving parts still. It's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, there's, there's certainly some you know, some, uh, some traditionalists who like the, you know, who like the way things have been. And even now with 14 teams in there, it's like, all right, we're still the big 10, but now there's 14 teams and more are coming. And like, you know, Rutgers and Maryland, like what, <laughs> what are they really doing in there? I, I mean, there's, it's, it's kind of been like that for a little while. And so now it's just like, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out. Obviously the money is the big part of it. Playoff expansion is going to be mixed in there. There's just so many moving parts. I don't know if, I think if you asked a hundred people what they think, you might get a different answer from all of them. It's just it's just such a it's such an up and down, and there's so many people who like the old school Michigan way, and then there's you know the newer crowd who's all about expansion and wanting to see what college football is going to eventually look like. And yeah, it's a hard question to answer. I don't even know if I have one for myself. Like I'm 38, so I, I remember the days of you know it being Michigan and Ohio State pretty much just about every year, and then there's been some parity you know, in my adult life, and now we're getting ready to shift into this new thing that I don't really know what it's going to look like. So it's all pretty interesting, and I think a lot of people are just wondering, like, you know, even in five short years, what exactly is college football going to look like? Because it's going to be very, very different. Another couple of minutes with Brandon Brown, who covers uh, Michigan in the Big Ten. We're not going to learn a whole lot about Michigan in the non-conference part of the season. Colorado State, Hawaii, and Connecticut are there three games at home? They're three then they and open, zero. <laughs> then they open at home against Maryland. Looks like the toughest game before the game in Columbus. The game in Columbus might be the road trip to Iowa. Would you agree with that? You know that I've gone back and forth on this a lot of times because you know Iowa is very very tough at Kinnick. Uh, for a while, it looked like you know everybody just assumed, oh, that's going to be a night game at Kinnick. They're going to roll out some special uniforms. Probably it's going to be this big you know, this big production, but I think it's kind of been deduced, you know, from some people out there looking at future schedules and times for games that are already available or that are already set that that's going to be a noon game. So that, that takes the luster off of that one just a little bit in terms of the environment and how hard it could be to play there. And I know it's a different year. I know it's a different team and Michigan's got a lot of new guys and I'm sure Iowa's got new guys doing new things. I can't get a 40-point beatdown in the Big Ten Championship out of my head. Like, I don't know how it changes that much from last year to this year. I know that was a neutral site game, and this is at home for Iowa. That Like, that certainly changes things a little bit, but does it change it by 40 points? I, I don't know. I don't know what 
could potentially change it by 40 points, especially when I think Michigan's offense is going to be better this year. And then there's that question mark, you know, a lot of question marks on defense. So, yeah, certainly out of the first five games, that's the toughest one. It's not even close. But I, I just, I really think Michigan's going to be a problem for Iowa. I think they're, they're much more talented. I think they've got a lot more team speed. And they're confident. I mean, I don't know how they couldn't be supremely confident going into that one, even though it is the first road game of the year. And the favorite in the West by most people's uh, assessments is Wisconsin, and the Badgers are not on the Michigan schedule. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's that's one of the that's probably the the game I was the most wrong about last year. I mean, I just hadn't seen in recent years Michigan be able to go into a tough place like that and beat a solid team like Wisconsin, but they did, and they did it convincingly. Um, so, yeah, not getting them on the schedule this year, I mean, that means Michigan's probably dodging the best team from the West, but you mentioned Iowa on the road, and obviously the, the rivalry games against Michigan State and Ohio State, Penn State's going to be in there, and they're, they're always talented and tough, but you just look back at what Michigan was able to do last year, winning in Happy Valley against Penn State, winning on the road against Wisconsin, and really just the trip up against uh, against Michigan State and East Lansing was it. I mean, everything else pretty much went about as well as it could. And so this team is confident. They've got a lot going for them. They've got a lot of talent, and I think they're going to feel like they can win every game. And even the game at the end of the year in Columbus, I feel like the team is genuinely going to think they can win that thing. And so – that's a dangerous thing when you've got a talented team riding high and they're very, very confident. Um, you know that 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 usually that usually turns into good results. You talked about uh, the time of a game could add or maybe uh, detract from some of the luster. I don't see that happening though in the Ohio State Michigan game. Although they play that game early always, and uh, could it be a bigger deal if they played it at night? I don't know. I, again, maybe it doesn't need that. Yeah, I mean. I, the thought of Michigan and Ohio State kicking off at 7 p.m. or something in Columbus, especially if these teams are as good as everybody thinks they're going to be, where, I mean, if that's 11 and 0 against 11 and 0, like, un, I, I don't even, I, my head's already kind of exploding even thinking about that being a possibility. And I know Michigan fans are thinking the same thing, but like I said, I, I do expect Michigan to be favored in the first 11 games of the season. Um, you know, it might not be by a lot against Iowa on the road or, at, you know, even Michigan State coming to Ann Arbor. Certainly Penn State's going to be tough. But, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't matter where you played that game, what time, you know, whoever's the head coach. I mean, it doesn't matter. That's the game for a reason, and it's got the potential to be huge this year, just just like it was last year. I mean, the winner of that game was going to Indy and going to the playoff, and for the first time in a long time, that was Michigan, and it made made for a really fun season to cover. And, you know, like I said, everybody's really anxious to see how it plays out this year as they – uh you know, put a cap on the season in Columbus instead of Ann Arbor. Hey, Brandon, good to catch up with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yep, talk to you soon. Brandon Brown from Ann Arbor, Wolverine Digest. Ten seventeen. a break. Back uh, with a conversation Lauren had with Josh Whitman a day or so ago. And we'll have that for you coming up here when we continue. Stay with us. Well, Josh Whitman, uh, I worry about things I shouldn't worry about, but uh, the addition of... Uh, UCLA and USC to the Big Ten is a great addition. I mean, there's no way that the Big Ten could ever say no to them. They're a great addition. Is that a, is it good for college football? What we saw with Texas and Oklahoma and now with UCLA and USC, is that good for college football? I hope so. I, I, I hope so. I, I do think, and this is something that we have talked about amongst the athletic directors and with the conference staff, I, I do think we have multiple responsibilities here i think we have a responsibility to do what's best 
for our institutions. I, I think we have a responsibility to do what's best for the Big Ten Conference. But I also think we have a responsibility to do what we think is in the best interests of college athletics, and in this case, college football. I, I think what's really challenging is we, we live in an incredibly competitive environment, and we understand that the status quo rarely holds itself for very long. And so if, for example, we had not been interested in UCLA and USC, I don't know that that means that UCLA and USC stay in the Pac-12. Uh, I, I think that the, the wheels were in motion for change to occur, and so it, you, you find yourself in a, in a trick bag because all of a sudden, if, if you don't take advantage of the change that's happening around you, then somebody else will, and from a competitive perspective, you put yourself at a disadvantage. And so, um, you know, if everyone would stand pat and, and we would all just accept kind of the, the nature of the landscape, you, you could make an argument that that could be really good for the long term of, of college sports. The challenge is that everybody wants to win and everybody's trying to put themselves in a stronger position. And, and if we were to lock in a landscape, then those schools that are disadvantaged in that landscape aren't going to be very happy. Everybody's looking for a way to try and, and improve their competitive position. Uh, and so it's a it's a, it's a really interesting philosophical question and, and one that I've thought about, wrestled with. Um, but ultimately, I, I think that uh, we're going through this period of intense reformation. I think that college football will look different on the other side. I think that college football will continue to be healthy. I, I just I believe in our fan base. I believe in uh, the, the, the Saturday tradition that is college football across the United States. Um, but but the change is coming, and, and I think people will adapt. Well, it is true that uh, the Big 12 has been devastated, and the Pac-12 has now been devastated by the loss of such powerhouse teams, and, and all of a sudden uh, they're looking at each other, and I don't see where they're going to join each other. I, I can't see that happening. I don't think the Pac-12 wants to bring in, and, and already the, the Big 12 has brought four new members in already anyway. Things can change in a hurry, though. We, we've, yeah. we've learned that over the last several years. And uh, just when you think somebody might be lying on the mat, not able to get up, they pop up and they take a pretty big swing. And, and so I I wouldn't be shocked to, to see uh, one or both of those leagues make some, some, uh, some pretty strategic decisions here going forward. You know they're not going to just accept where things stand. Um, and, and so the, the landscape is continuing to evolve, and uh, I would never – count anybody out uh, of this game that we're in because it's a like i said it's a competitive landscape everybody's uh motivated everybody's smart everybody's strategic and and uh people are always looking to improve their situation and so it'll it'll continue to change under our feet as things evolve and we know we're going to do the extra two teams uh, and we see the divisions probably falling apart is this advantageous or disadvantageous to illinois i'm talking two three years down the road I, I think ultimately, if we were to move away from divisions, that will be a decision that's made because it's in the best interest of the Big Ten. And, and I think in the, in the long playoffs. term, yeah. I think what's in the best interest of the Big Ten is in the best interest of Illinois. Okay. Uh, I, I think that certainly there are arguments to be made that the West Division, as it's currently constituted, makes a lot of sense for us. And, and, yeah. and, and I base that not so much on the competitive piece. I, I actually think that has been a bit overblown. I, I think that teams come and go 
program success is cyclical. There have been moments where the teams in the East haven't been as strong as they have been in recent years. Uh, and, and I think that if you look at the competitive records, you know, we, we've stood up uh, really well against the, the East division. Uh, but it's more for me just based on the geographic rivalries. I've really There's enjoyed. place for geography in this. There is. And, and I think that's a part of the great tradition of college football. Uh, the idea that we're going to play Purdue, that we're going to play Northwestern, that we're going to play Iowa. Uh, you know, those are games that, that matter a lot to us and to our fans. Um, but the, the landscape changing. And as you grow the league, uh, you know, obviously you want to make sure you're getting through the league and having a chance to play uh, each of the different teams uh, within a certain period of time. You want a chance for our student-athletes to be able to experience different places, different stadiums. You want our guys to be able to play in the Rose Bowl against UCLA. You want them to be playing the Coliseum against USC. But that means they're not going to play somebody else that they've been playing traditionally. And so, uh, you know, there are a limited number of spaces on a 12-game on a schedule. And uh, we've got to be thoughtful about how we start to allocate out those um, those games. A friend of yours, Jim Phillips, uh, down at the, with the ACC commissioner now, uh, made the comments uh, that they would do a lot of different things to keep everybody in the conference, and with, with maybe Clemson and others looking to the SEC. Uh, one of the things he mentioned was uneven distribution. Is that a consideration at any point in the Big Ten? That's not something that has been talked about in the, in the Big Ten Conference. I, I certainly would never um, judge other conferences. Everybody's got their own situations. Everybody's got their own pressure points. Everybody needs to do uh, what they think they need to do at, at, at given moments. Uh, but in the Big Ten, that has not been our tradition. Uh, I think, as most people know, I think that is one of the things that has contributed to the strength of our league, I think to the overall identity of our league, I think to the camaraderie of our league. Um, and, and so I, that's not something that we've, we've ever even uh, discussed. It's notable, I I think that uh, USC and UCLA are coming in as full partners in that way, and yet that was not the case with Nebraska, nor with Maryland, nor with Rutgers. Is there a reason why uh, they didn't come in as full? You know, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't uh, part of the league when those decisions were made. Uh, and even in this case, you know, we have a lot of voice in, in ultimate decisions about adding new members and, and those kinds of things. But ultimately, we trust the commissioner and, and the Big Ten staff to negotiate the terms of, of those uh, arrangements. And so, uh, you know, we, we weren't, um, you know, in the weeds in those discussions. And, and we knew that bringing in those Los Angeles schools was a, was a critical opportunity for us. And we, we trusted him and, and the Big Ten staff to, to handle that discussion in the best way that they needed to, to in order to get to get us to the end result that we wanted. I think that one of the the Big Ten's foundational elements is broad-based programming, and that's something that's always been important to us. I, I think, like most things, the, the the rub there is in the definition. Well, what is a broad-based program? Is it is it 21 sports like we have at Illinois? Is it 30-plus sports as they have it at Michigan or Ohio State? Um, I, I think that Clearly, we are in the midst of, of some transformation, some change. Uh, I, I think it is possible that there will be contraction in our system. Uh, I, I think that is uh, out there, I, and I've talked openly about that as some of the uh, the different pressure points change in the, in the uh, years ahead. But I, I do think that in the more recent conversation around the Los Angeles schools and some of the travel logistics, you know, let's recognize that most of our student-athletes are going to head west 
once a year, right? They're gonna they're gonna go out there and they're probably gonna play USC and UCLA on the same trip, and then they're gonna come home. Uh, we've got two years now to work with the Big Ten to try and really massage the details of, of some of the Olympic sports scheduling and what that's really gonna look like. And and last but not least, and I, I learned this when I was at Washington University in St. Louis, our conference uh, included schools in Chicago, Pittsburgh, New York City. Boston, uh, Cleveland, and so our student athletes had this great opportunity to get out and see some of the great cities in the country, and it wasn't a contiguous footprint. It wasn't uh, uh, really based on geography, but it was based on academic profile. It was based on geographic profile, Um, and so now we're providing our student athletes an opportunity to see a part of the country that they never would have otherwise. They're going to go to Los Angeles. They're going to get to see one of our great cities. Um, and uh, to me, that's a, another opportunity to expand their education uh, through their participation in our program. Things are not going to slow down for a while yet. I, I, I think that change is, is really the name of the game here for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'd like to th- sit back and think that things will calm down. I I don't know that they will for a while. Uh, I I just think that we're in this period of intense disruption. And and as I've said on multiple occasions, I feel like that provides a place like the University of Illinois with an opportunity. I I think if we're aggressive, if we're ambitious, if we innovate in the midst of that disruption, I I think that we can can really position ourselves well to to come out of this changing environment in, in a more advantaged position than when we started uh, and so that's uh, that, that's really where our focus has been uh, it will be nice to get back to the games and, you know there, there's it, that's always kind of a, a grounding element for me anyways uh, when I go out to that first practice of training camp when I'm around our volleyball team for the first time soccer team when you're, you're in the stands you're watching them play there still is a purity to the competition and and that's that's really a, a grounding anchoring element I think for me and for a lot of our staff it's at the center of all we do we've got a group of 500 student athletes who are receiving a university of illinois education who are, are learning a lot of life skills through their participation in our program uh and who have an interest in being one of the very best to wear our uniform and, and that's something that uh, motivates me inspires me and and really helps center me as we work through a lot of these uh, high-level decisions that will ultimately affect what college athletics looks like for the next number of years um, and so that's um I'm glad it's coming because I, I, I need that. And, you know, by the time the spring rolls around, sometimes you're ready for the finish line and the summer serves its purpose. You get recharged and then you're ready to you're ready to get going again. Josh, thanks for your time. Absolutely, Lauren. Good to see you. Mm-hmm. It is moving up on 1034 on IPELA Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, we're heading towards... 11 o'clock. Happy to welcome back to the program our friend Jeremy Werner from Illini Inquirer. Jeremy, how you doing, my friend? You ready for some college football practice opens today? Yeah, uh, not very much open, but yes, it, <laughs> it does start today. Um, so yeah, looking forward to finally, uh, you know, stop talking about it and start hearing a little bit about what's actually going on with the roster and everything. Yeah, we'll know about what we hear in interviews after practice is about uh, the way that goes. And, uh, you know, we've been through that before. You deal with it. But uh, uh, what uh, are some of the main things you want to learn about this team between now and the, and the opener? Well, I think a lot of it's uh, about the offense, right? I, that's the story of the season. I, I think defensively they have a lot to replace. And that's, that's kind of true of the entire roster. There's so much 
turnover in experience getting lost, uh, that super senior class that had that extra COVID year. So interested to see some names that emerge, whether it's that outside linebacker and nose guard or all that. But let's be honest, the only reason Illinois had a, uh, didn't play in the postseason last year was the offense uh, was, was poor. And really it was just the passing attack. So uh, I'm really interested to hear how Tommy DeVito does. I'm interested to see if Art Stokowski can push him. But I think it's Tommy DeVito's job to lose. Uh, and I'm interested to see how Barry Loney Jr., how he talks about him, what they've seen from him. So far, Brett Bielma seems to really like what the confidence he brings. Uh, just he, he wants him to maybe not put the ball in, in harm's way. But um, I, I think Illinois needs a, a jolt of swagger at that position. But more than anything, they need a jolt of efficiency. Uh, and uh, they hope Tommy DeVito can, can bring that. I thought last year uh, much of the defense uh, responsibility uh, went right back to Walters because of the job that they did as they finished out the season. Can you see, you see this as a carryover this year? I mean, they do have some key positions to replace. Yeah, I think Ryan Walters is really good at his job, and I think the thing he did great after three games. Remember, the first mm-hmm. three games was a little rough for the offense, but yeah. uh, he he put guys in positions to succeed, and that's what you want coaching staff to do. And I think. The big question throughout the year last year was, is Tony Peterson putting his players in position to succeed? And, and Brett Bielma emphatically answered that by firing him and bringing in another offensive coordinator. So uh, I think Ryan Walters is really smart. Uh, he really gets the most out of his players. He connects really well with them. But most importantly, I think he runs a scheme that is very aggressive. It, it forces you know teenage or early 20-year-old quarterbacks to, to make uh, you know some, some tough decisions and uh, forces them to kind of be on their heels a little bit. So uh, I like what he does there. But, yeah, Warren, they, they have some guys to replace. Uh, I worry about depth at certain positions. Um, you know, if, if Sidney Brown got hurt or Devin Witherspoon got hurt or Tariq Barnes got hurt um, or Keith Randolph or Johnny Newton, uh, that's my big question about the defense. But if they can stay healthy, uh, I, I think they should be pretty good. I don't know if they'll be as good as they were towards the end of last year. You know, they were the number four defense during conference play. But – if they can be a top-half defense again, I think I think they're certainly capable of that, and I think it put their offense in a position to, to help them get to the postseason. But my big question, Warren, with, with Illinois, as always, is, is depth. You know, come November, what's this team look like? The last year they were able to handle injuries to Jake Hansen. They are able to handle injuries to, um, you know, some of their other guys, C.J. Hart, because they had depth. I'm not sure if that's there this year, and that, that's kind of what camp is all about is figure out um, if they have that kind of depth, because that's kind of what separates Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, those other programs kind of have the depth to replace uh, the injuries that happen throughout the course of a season. Who do you see as the, as the new players uh, that might pop up in this whole idea of, of, of depth? New players that we haven't heard much about. Well, I think some of the guys that could, uh, you know, kind of develop into stars this year, Seth Coleman, at outside linebacker, I think could be really, really, really good this year. He's got everything you want in an edge rusher when it comes to talent. He's 6'5", 235, really a great burst off the line of scrimmage. I think he could have a big year. I'm interested to see if Alec Bryant, the transfer from Virginia Tech, really steps up this year, um, if he's ready for action. I mean, he hasn't played college football really yet, so – I'm interested to see that. And I think guys, even even guys who were good last year, like Devin Witherspoon, Sidney Brown, Quan Mar, I think they can take another step forward. But uh, Seth Coleman is, is one there. And then on offense, uh, I would say 
the tight end group, I know Luke Ford gets a lot of the focus, but um, I think Tip Ryman can be really good. Former mm-hmm. walk-on, but he looks uh, – he's, he's very impressive-looking guy. He's really bulked up since he's been here, and the staff loves his work ethic. They love his approach. He's a guy I think can take a step forward. Uh, and then at wide receiver, I'm wondering if it's, you know, is, is Casey Washington going to be the second guy behind Isaiah Williams? Is it going to be uh, Brian Hightower, who we barely heard from last year after a pretty good year in 2020? Or can a young guy like Pat Bryan or Sean Miller, they need somebody uh, certainly to step up at, at wide receiver. But I think they got the stars of their defense um, with, with Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, Devin Witherspoon, Sidney Brown. I, Tariq Barnes is probably a guy we don't talk enough about, but they need some, some depth pieces to step up, whether it's Virtus Brown and Calvin Avery at nose guard, or Sean Wilkins to transfer from Vanderbilt. Uh, and, and they maybe need a backup linebacker like Isaac Dark Andrews, a former walk-on. Um, Kendall Smith, six-year senior at safety. Those are the pieces they really need to step up, just be solid so the other guys uh, can kind of be the stars. Sounds like you're uh, multitasking a bit this morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at a children's museum, and my daughter is uh, yeah telling me to play with her. So yeah, sorry about that. we'll let you get back to what uh, what's really important here in, in just a moment. Let's sure. talk basketball real quick. Sky Clark uh, said last night that he has been 100% uh, released now and approved for full contact. So that uh, that's good to see as uh, they continue workouts over the summer. Yeah, he's, he's really important. Uh, I know Brad Underwood and everybody around him is basically saying, hey, we don't need uh, a true point guard to initiate everything. And that's, that's true, but they, you still need a point guard. You still need somebody who could be a dynamic playmaker off the bounce. And, and Sky Clark certainly is option one. Jade Nets is more of a bucket getter than a distributor, I, I would call him. But, uh, yeah, that's a really important part of this, this season because I think we know they should be really good on the wing. They just have so much talent including some potential NBA talent with Matthew Meyer, Terrence Shannon, you know, Coleman Hawkins, who want to qualify him as a wing, but more front court piece. Uh, Ty Rogers, Luke Goody, RJ Melendez. Like, that's just an embarrassment of riches on the wings that will probably figure itself out. But the, the two big questions are at point guard and at center, right? I think Coleman Hawkins will play a lot of center. I think Dane Danger is a very intriguing prospect. But um, we, don't, we haven't barely seen Dane Danger at this level. We've barely seen Sky Clark and Jaden Epp. So, uh, those are the huge question marks, but uh, they certainly don't lack for talent. So, um, you know, the schedule, I think, is going to be fun. The non-conference, I think, sets up for a lot of great opportunities, potentially some some games where Illinois slips up because they're trying to feel themselves out but uh, and get all these pieces to work together. But uh, the conference schedule is kind of really good for Illinois. Um, sets up really well. So I think it's pretty amazing that we think of what Illinois lost and Kofi Coburn, Alfonso Plummer, Trent Frazier, and all those guys. Jacob Granison is going to be potentially a starter at Duke. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing that we can still talk about this team as a potential Big Ten contender. Uh, even though the Big Ten might not have the, the teams at the top that it's had the past couple of years, I think it's uh, pretty good credit to Brad Underwood and his staff that they've been able to kind of reload like they have. We'll let you go with this. Where are you right now with your White Sox? Just disappointed, Steve. I mean, it's not like we're going to sell. We're not going to sell because the, the AL Central is winnable. This is a window um, that, that we were made to compete. We're uh, an expensive team, so it's not like they're going to sell off pieces at this point. They just got to play better. Um, you know, I, I think Tony LaRusso at some point, he, he takes culpability of it, but is the organization 
going to take accountability for that. Uh, they haven't made really good moves in free agency here the last couple of years. So uh, it's just really, really disappointing. Um, the offense is way worse uh, than we expected. And then, of course, the, the pitching staff had some injuries. Lance Lynn coming back from injury hasn't been quite as good. But, um, yeah, it's just really, really disappointing year because it felt like the window was wide open and uh, haven't even won a, a playoff series quite yet three years into this. And, uh, they, they, even with eight playoff spots, doesn't look like they're going to get one. Uh, Jeremy, what did I hear about Tim Anderson this morning? He got thrown out of the game, Warren, but uh, to be honest with you, this team's so frustrating, and I'm so focused on Illinois football, I haven't been okay. turning it on as often as I have. Okay, well, I, I didn't know exactly what took place because I, I didn't follow it as, as I should, but uh, in any case, uh, are they? Uh, is the team relatively healthy for the second half? I still got some guys that are working their way back on, but at this point, like you know, Roy Jimenez has still had some, you know, setbacks, and you know, he's still kind of day to day. Asmani Grandal just came back, and uh, but at this point, yeah, I mean, the, the roster is back. Like the, the whole organization has been saying, hey, we just need everybody to get healthy, and then we can go on a run. Well, they're healthy. They had a chance to to win four in a row and sweep the Rockies in two game series, and they blew it in the ninth inning because. Uh, Kendall Graveman came in and walked three guys straight. So um, that's just kind of the way the season's gone. It's like every time they feel like they're about to make a run, they take some steps back, and, and that includes last night. Let me ask you one last question before I let you go. I'll swing back to football. You were over there. What did, what did you learn about the Western Division um, going into this season? This is the next to last year for this probably. And uh, who do you see as uh, as the teams to beat? I think every year it starts with Wisconsin and Iowa, right? Uh, they just reload every year. They have so much um, continuity. Uh, they're such good development programs. I think you have to start with them. That's how I voted. I voted Wisconsin 1, Iowa 2. No, I think people around those programs, um, you know, I talked to some other Big Ten West reporters, and they think Wisconsin might be a little bit overrated. Um, I just respect Jim Leonard too much and Paul Chris too much. But quarterback clearly is, is a, a big question mark for them. With Graham Mertz, uh, outside the Illinois performance a couple of years ago, has not been very good. So they can run the ball, and they play as good a defense as anybody in the country. Iowa's got some good skill players, but their passing attack isn't very good. Uh, but their defense is always good with Phil Parker. So uh, I think those two programs always start the conversation. But I can tell you, people around Minnesota are really high on that team. Um, you know, they lost a lot of offensive linemen, but they feel they got a lot of veterans who can step up. The defense took a big step forward last year. And then Purdue's always a wild card, guys, because they're so different than everybody else in the West. They throw the ball so well. But uh, without David Bell, uh, I, I just question um, you know, whether they can be that good this year. I think they kind of uh, exceeded expectations. I can't buy Nebraska yet, guys. Uh, I know they brought in talent, but Scott Frost is 10-25 and 25 in Big Ten play. I think if they drop one, there could be tons of pressure, and I just feel like with all those newcomers, it's going to be really hard to kind of gel that all together. Uh, and I just question Scott Frost as a coach, uh, some of the decision-making, you know, all the close games. I expect them to be better than last year. I don't expect them to lose eight one-score games, but uh, I just can't quite buy them. And, and nobody thinks Illinois or Northwestern, but uh, I, th- I think the top tier has to be Wisconsin and Iowa, and, and maybe uh, Minnesota or Purdue can, can jump into that mix. Hey, Jeremy, good stuff. Always good to catch up with you. We'll bump into you soon. Thanks. Good to see you guys. Bet. Jeremy Warner from Illini Inquirer at 1046. We'll take a time out, have an open line the rest of the way if you'd like to join us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 
got about uh, 10 or 12 minutes left here on this edition of the Lime Life Fellow Saturday Sports Talk. If you'd like to join us, feel free to jump in here on the first day of fall football practice for the Illini ahead of the first game, which is four weeks from today. Let's go to Marty on the telephone in North Carolina. Hello, Marty. Greetings, Steve. Greetings, Lauren. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, uh, I had a good friend. Uh, he's a Cub fan, but he grew up near Wrigley Field, but he's, he's open-minded. He's a 35-year high school baseball coach. Good guy. And we talk a lot of baseball. And I told him earlier this week, i tell you what. I said, if you tell me that the front office people from St. Louis are in Washington at the end of this road trip, then I'll believe this Soto stuff. There might be something to it. He called me at breakfast this morning when I was having breakfast with a friend and said, Marty, he said, reports are that several front office executives from the St. Louis Cardinals have joined the team in Washington today. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they be there at the tail end of a road trip unless there was something serious going on? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's obviously something serious going on or they wouldn't have showed up. Well, yeah, I can see why you would say that, but I can also see that just happens to be where the Cardinals are right before the deadline. And if they want to get all their staff together, they got to be somewhere. That's where they are. Might be dealing with more than Soto. Yeah. But the deadline is Tuesday, and you would want to be at your home base receiving calls from lots of people if if it, if there wasn't something serious about Soto, I would think. But well, anyway. you got cell phones, Marty. You can call people <laughs> well, anywhere. I know. I know. Well, I think it's serious to the point where they're they're trying to analyze <clears throat> whether they can meet the demands for Soto. Yeah. That that's the problem. I mean, they take Soto. I mean, they'll 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 pay that too too large salary. They're willing to do that, but you got to consider that you're giving up somebody that might have a ten-year career for somebody that maybe only played two years for you. you I know that's the trade-off of two, three postseason. The one good thing I like about him, he hits good pitching, and that's what you need in the postseason. And I don't know if I want to give the people up either. I've gone back and forth. I've thought, well, let's go after Otani or let's go after the pitcher and catcher from Oakland because we need pitching. Of course, Corbin might be thrown in the deal, and maybe Maddox, who used to be his pitching coach, thinks he can do something with him and get him back on track. I don't know all that. It's interesting because there's a lot of irons that could be in the fire. But off that subject, even though it's hard to, and of course it's going to be dismal tonight because Hudson's pitching, and it could be long and drawn out as much as he, he takes too long between pitches. I had just a wish. This is just a wish list. ain't going to happen. I realize it. But I brainstorm on this uh, college realignment. Just imagine if you could get through that ACC contract and you could pick up Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia Tech, all AAU members, and pick up Washington, um, Oregon, and the two Bay Area schools, all AAU members, keep the presidents happy, and then have four six-team divisions, an East division with Penn State, Rutgers, and Maryland added to those three in ACC, add Notre Dame, if I know, with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue as a Mideast division, the rest of the Old West in the Midwest division, and then the six Pacific schools in a West division. 
that would take care of some of your Olympic sports stuff. You could arrange more around championships, et cetera, et cetera. And boy, would that be a crackerjack coast-to-coast type of setup. Well, I, I hadn't heard anybody talk about that, so that's why I've been brainstorming it. Well, do the teams that you've added add more money or less, or do they take away? Well, don't know. And is that going to be the key factor? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, why well, do you – is it? Money, Los Angeles and money were the factor in adding those last two well, yeah. schools. Well, that's a big one with this, but going forward, is Washington going to add money? Yeah, probably. Oh, the, I don't know. Probably. Big big TV market we'll see is, are the Bay Area schools, I don't think they draw well, even though that's a big TV market. North Carolina will will draw a good market. There's a, there's a North Carolina is a, a growing state. Georgia Tech's going to pick off some Atlanta market, although it's not Georgia. Virginia is going to add to that Delmarva that's already built. We've already started to build up. I I think it'd be reasonable, Lauren. I think. Well, we got to get a lawyer in here to figure out how yeah, they get out of that contract with the ACC. Yeah. I know. I said it was a wish thing. I didn't say it was going to happen. Yeah, it's it's an <laughs> it's a talk show for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. Well, while I, you're uh, while you're talking, back to the Cardinals. Yeah. Yep. Um, Spend some of their money. How would you? Uh, what would I do? What would you do in this if deal I, if they could get Soto? If if I could get Soto, I would uh, I would talk about Gomez, who's now leading the minor leagues in home runs. He's hit twenty nine or thirty now. Um, I would talk about Yepes because I don't think he has a position, but he's a good bat. I would throw in one of the top guys, either Walker. Gorman or Wynn, um, and I'd see if they wanted anybody off the major league roster that had years of service because we're going to have a glut of outfielders once we get him. And I think you're going to have to put Soto in uh, left field. Uh, I think he's better suited there, and uh, I think O'Neill can play right, but that's the way I'd like to go. And if they want to throw minor league pitcher like McGreevy in, um, or one of the other minor league pitchers, that's fine. If I if I had to go more than that, then I'd switch to looking at Otani, or I'd switch to Frankie Montas and Murphy, the catcher from Oakland, which would be available and would cost less, although you wouldn't have them as long. And they're not Soto, but Lauren's right. There's a price you give up in the future, and I believe Gorman will cut down on strikeouts. I think he's an intelligent hitter. I think he's learning. I mean, he's 22 years old, for God's sakes. He's just, you know, he's, of course, Soto's only 23. (laughs) (laughs) And Carlson's only 23. Yeah. Yeah, and I hate giving up Carlson because I think in the long run, Bader, I don't know, will ever get away from missing sliders half the time. Oh, I I agree with you. He has spurts where he looks like a hitter, but then the rest of the time, no, he's just pulling the ball. And I think Carlson's just about as good a center fielder as uh, as Bader is. I don't think there's that much difference. And I think Carlson has the ability to become a much better hitter over time. So I'd hate to give him up. I really would. All right, Marty, good they, stuff. They have options out there. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It is, after all, Steve, a talk show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I just had to bring That's that up. good. I like it. Talk to you later. Thanks, Marty. All right. Bye-bye. 10.56. We'll take our final break and be back with some final words after this. 
Mike Mary and his team at the Pella Window and Door Store want to thank you for what's been an incredible year so far. Looking for the right window and door for your next project from replacement, remodeling, or new construction? Go see them now. If you got a project later this year or into 2022, now is the time to start the conversation. The Pella Window and Door Store, easy to find, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign, or visit them online PellaofChampagne.com. A couple of minutes before 11 o'clock, wrapping things up on this edition of the program. One of the basketball note, Ty Pence from St. Joe Ogden, verbally committed this week to Illinois State. Yeah, I think that's a good decision. It's good for both. Ryan Peden, the new coach over there. It's a good pickup for the uh, Redbirds. A texter wants to know when you're going to start Monday morning quarterbacking with Brian Barnhart. It'll be around that first game. I'm yeah. not sure uh, whether. So about be... four weeks from now or mm-hmm. a little under four weeks since yep. the game is um, four weeks from today. So that's a ballpark Ballpark estimate yeah, I, haven't, that. I haven't talked to Brian about it. There's a lot of programming decisions uh that are falling into place as we approach the uh, sports season. So that's going to take care of things on this uh, edition of the show. What are you doing? You going out to watch any of the Twin Cities? I or? thought I might go out that way and, and uh, just watch a little bit, and maybe I can get a cart and run around and see some people. Thanks to all of our guests this morning, Dana Brenner, Tom Porter, who were with us earlier, Martin O'Donnell, Jeremy Werner, Brandon Brown, who covers Michigan. If you missed any of it, it'll be up in podcast form very quickly after we're done here. We appreciate it. I would suggest if you want to listen to that Whitman, that was awfully good stuff. He that's 11 minutes of really good stuff. Yep, he he uh, handles things very well. Thanks to Dave Leak, our producer, and Ed Bond for his help as well. This is Steve Kelly for all the gang on WDWS 93.9 FM, Champaign-Urbana. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening.